Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us again, we welcome you. It is good to have you. We are looking at relationships this month, and especially we're thinking about whether or not we're safe in relationships, and if other people are safe with us as we share in relationships. And this morning we think especially about the relationship of parenting toward a child, and then tonight we'll look at children toward parents. I read uh, the other day a statement that was pretty cute. It said, Families are a lot like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. Now, you laugh at that, but it might be you that the, the nut in your family, at least the other ones think. But when we think about relationships and we think about as a parent, what are we to offer to our children? A little girl heard the thunder crack and she was so afraid and she ran. She jumped in her daddy's arms and her daddy said, Baby, God will take care of you. Don't worry. And she says, oh, Daddy, I know that, but right now I just need someone with skin to hold me. Now think about for a minute the truth of a statement like that. God knew that children would need a lot of things. God knew that they would need someone that could nurture them and provide for them. God knew that they would need someone who could train them. But also God knew that children would need someone to share in a relationship that God designed that can only be shared in that exact way in that parent-child relationship. Now you think of the many things that we do as parents to keep our children safe. How many times, if you've raised children, especially in the last few decades, how many times have you fastened and unfastened a safety seat for a child? I felt like that my life had been liberated whenever I finally got to the point where I could say to the kids, just get in the car. You didn't have to reach over and you didn't have to snap anything. You didn't have to unhook anything. I mean, four years old, because that's when, back when my kids were young, that's when they get out of their safety seat. Four years old was, to me, one of the biggest birthdays my children have ever had. How many times have you had those special latches? Because after all, you have to keep your children safe. There's certain things that could harm them. How many times have we listened to those monitors? Let's make sure that they're safe. Can you hear them breathing? And then they get older and and we're concerned about their friends and we're concerned about their activities. And you know, we could go on and on and on talking about the things that we do to keep our children safe. But this morning, and I hope you can see the angle that, that I think is so important. This morning, we're not just talking about things that we do to keep them safe. This morning, we're talking about Are they safe in a relationship with you? What kind of relationship are you building as a parent with your child? Are they safe in that relationship? Not have you put all of the safety gadgets around the house. Is everything safe as you're transporting them? Have you chosen a safe environment for them to be during the day? We're not really concerned in this message with that, although those things are very important. As we think about this, isn't it ironic that some of the people that hurt children the most are their own parents? And thank God, on the other hand, we can say that there are so many children that they would say that the person that had the greatest influence in their life, the person that's shown them the most love, was their parents. 
This morning as we begin, I just want you to think about that. And how would your children describe your relationship? Not how you provided provisions, etc. How would they describe your relationship with them? As we think about this, I'd like for you to be turning to Genesis, the first chapter. In Genesis, the first chapter, there's something that stands out amazing to me. And then we see it throughout the Scriptures. You know, Genesis, the second chapter, is a detailed occasion of the creation of Adam and Eve. Genesis, the first chapter, it's mentioned, but it's not given in detail. And so we see how it is described in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, what is the very next words going to be after man and woman are created? The very next words, then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. He talked about what the earth was to yield seed for them and food for them and how the birds and all the other things would would feed off the herbs of the food in 30. And then he says in 31, God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. Isn't it interesting that the first thing that we have recorded is the the creation of Adam and Eve and God blessed them. I remember many years ago when I was in high school, my mother saying, I've read a book that is amazing. It was entitled The Gift of the Blessing by Gary Smalley and John Trent. Since then, that book has been a blessing in my life also as, as I've raised my children. The idea of this book is the very fact that from the very beginning, the first thing God did with His children He created was to bless them. And when you look throughout the Hebrew nation, the great important responsibility of the parents was to always offer blessings to their children. And those blessings are not just giving them things, nearly as much as it's stating and setting an environment of what it ought to be. Not that this is the lesson, but just by way of introduction, let's look at just a few of the many, many times we can see this in the Scriptures. Turn over a few more pages, Genesis the 12th chapter. And Genesis the 12th chapter, just look and listen for the word blessings. Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse them who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now we know that that lineage through Abraham would bring about Jesus Christ. And that's why he would say all of the families of the earth would be blessed. But isn't it interesting that even the choice of words, when we could say to God, God, how would you describe Jesus coming to this earth? And He would say, I consider that a blessing to my children. God, how are you going to prepare this way? Well, I'm going to go to Abraham and I'm going to give him a blessing. Now let's face it, most of us wouldn't really understand if in general conversation someone said that to us. Well, I gave my son a blessing. What do you mean? When we look in the Scriptures, when we give a blessing, it's to paint a picture. I want to show you what a purpose in your life is. I want to show you what you can become. I want to show you how you can prosper if you'll accept this blessing. And so through the Scriptures, in the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, God not only created Adam and Eve, but He blessed them with words that told them, this is what I expect you to do. 
Be fruitful, multiply. Take care of the ground. Eat of it. Prosper. I'm giving you this earth. He goes to Abraham and he says, here's what I expect you to do. Let me paint this picture. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the father of a great nation. You're going to leave where you live now and I'm going to give you a home. You see, the blessing isn't just a simple, hey, here's a gift for you. A blessing was starting to paint a picture of what could take place in the life of that child, whether it be a child of God or one of the children of the patriarchs or even the coming of Jesus Christ for the children of God. It also not only paints a picture, but be turning, if you will, to Deuteronomy, the 33rd chapter. In Deuteronomy, the 33rd chapter, we see the very last thing that Moses does with the children of Israel. Now, keep in mind, at this point, they have come to the edge of the promised land. And you remember, God is not going to allow Moses to go over in the promised land. So this is a great time of transition. They now will have a new leader. It also is a great challenge. You remember when their fathers came to this very point? That's when they saw the giants and they lost their faith and they had to go back and wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So it's a tremendous time in the life of Israel. Will they do the same thing their fathers did and lose faith? Or will they stand before a brave or behind a brave leader, Joshua, and will they follow him in? What's here, Moses wants all of the blessings in their life. He's not just wanting good things, as he says, I want to give you a blessing. He tells them what the blessing will be. Notice in 33, and we're not going to take the time in this lesson to develop all this, but this week you might want to go back and read how he speaks to each tribe and the tremendous challenges and uh, blessings that he offers to each individual tribe. But notice 33 and 1. Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And then he gives each of them the blessings throughout 33. Now notice at the end of 33, he says, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tread down their high places. And then the first sentence in 34 says, Moses went up to the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo. That's where he died, was up on Mount Nebo. Why do we have that transition statement? He's showing us this is the last thing he did with the children of Israel. What did he do? Over and over and over, he said to them, I'm giving you a blessing. What was he doing in this blessing? He was painting a picture of what they could be. But he also was bringing them provisions in the sense of pulling them together. It was the idea of together they could stand with God and they could conquer. You remember last time their fathers came to this point, 12 tribes were, uh, 12 spies were sent out, one from each tribe. And when they came back and reported, they couldn't stand united. You remember the 10 wicked spies gained the greater influence that day. The two wise or godly spies, they kept their faith in God. That day there was a division. Moses didn't want that to happen again. He's pulling the troops together. And if you'll notice there in 29, he's talking about the strength that they can have if they stay with the Lord. Because maybe we don't oftentimes see a blessing from this aspect, we may literally miss blessings. Let me give you an example. You know, a few months ago, one of our elders stood and spoke as the rest of the elders stood around them at this very place. And they not only said a prayer on behalf of two new men that would serve as elders, but you remember they asked the congregation to stand in support of that and then prayed. 
Do you see, from a biblical standpoint, that is offering a blessing. It's saying, look, this is the picture that we can see. We can see us as a congregation following the leadership of these men. Let's pull together and let's accomplish this. Friends, we can do so much more together as families if we see the need to always pull together. I don't know if you can appreciate the statement that I'm about to give you because I know if your background's different, you'll think that's the corniest thing I've ever heard. All of my life, I've heard my father say, you can't starve a family that works together. I've heard that all my life. If you come from a farming background, you know what I'm talking about. There can be some lean years. There can be some times that crops fail. There can be some bleak times. But you can't starve a family that sticks together. The idea of the blessing is where the patriarch or where the great leader Moses comes together and says, Listen, we've been here before and we've failed, but we're not doing it this time. Let's stand together. Let's pull together. Something great can come out of this. And they accepted Moses' blessing. And they lined up behind Joshua. And they followed in and they conquered just as God and just as Moses said would happen. Let's look at one more example. Look, if you will, in Genesis, the 28th chapter. In Genesis, the 28th chapter, by this time, Isaac uh, is offering his blessing to Jacob as Jacob... Uh, has received the great blessing, but now he needs to find a wife and etc. And notice as we read verses 1 through 4, and again, just listen for the words about blessings. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Pand and Amram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you. And make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Do you see here how Isaac is just continuing that blessing to Jacob? In the previous chapter, which we're about to go to in just a moment, he gave a very detailed blessing that Esau really wanted. And that was the text for this morning when Esau realized that his father had not given him the blessing. And it was the great bitter cry because what he wanted and needed in his life was no longer available to him, his father's blessing. But even now we see that this blessing is not just painting a picture and it's not just pulling together, but this blessing is also offering protection. He reminds him, we're about something that's greater than just us. We're about the blessing that God gave to Abraham. And if this blessing is going to succeed, you're going to have to be blessed in the wife that you choose. Now, I'm going to send you on a mission. Here's where you don't take wives from. Here's where you will take a wife from. What's the point? His life is going to be blessed because his father is protecting him from things that would take him off the path of the blessing. Friends, there's a path that we as Christian families travel. And when we continually say that blessing to our children, in so doing, we are protecting them from things that would harm them on that path to heaven. 
So the blessing in the Scriptures paints a picture. The blessing in the Scriptures calls people to stand together. The blessing in the Scriptures protects us from things that would harm us from accomplishing that blessing. As we think about this this morning, I want to ask you again, how are you in your relationship with your children? Do they understand the blessing that you want in their life? Have they ever heard any blessings from you in their life? And if they haven't, how are they to grow and to mature spiritually if that's the responsibility God has given parents and it's not being done? Turn back a page in your Bibles and let's look back at Genesis, the 27th chapter. In Genesis, the 27th chapter, I'd like to, for us to read together the blessing that, that Jacob received and Esau so desperately longed to hear. Look at verse 27. He came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of the clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of the heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Notice the first aspect of the blessing here is the kiss, the meaningful touch. There is something powerful about touch. As a matter of fact, one-third of the five million touch receptors that we have in our body are in our hands. You know, if you'll just think back to the first time that you fell in love with that special person, or maybe you weren't even really deeply in love at the time, but, you know, when you finally made that move to, to hold hands, you remember that feeling of touch when you touched the hand and instead of it snatching back, it reached out and grasped your hand, and you know what you said to yourself? They like me. How do you get that? They just touched you. Oh, that's what touch communicates. Touch communicates acceptance. Studies have been done. Let me give you an example of one. In a library, they took librarians. Every other student that came in, they were to touch their hand as they retrieved the card from their book. As they returned the book to them, they were to touch their hand again as they returned it. The other students, they would not touch them at all. They would grab the card, they would return the book. Never would there be a physical touch. When they then talked individually with every student, the students that had just been touched said that the librarians were warm, they were hospitable, and they even had a positive feeling about the library itself. Friends, touch is something that God designed to show acceptance. How many times have we seen someone that because of a disease or an ailment or because of nasty hygiene, people pull away? You know what that person's longing for? 
They're longing for someone to touch them because people aren't doing it. What about your children? In Genesis, what do we see God doing? We see Him coming down and walking in the garden. It's the idea of His presence with them. And then when we see a picture of God being a father in a parable, do you remember in Luke 15 what He did when the son came home? He ran and the Scripture says He fell upon His neck. Touch. And He kissed Him, and the Greek there is kissed Him earnestly. Not just a little peck. He fell on His neck and He kissed Him earnestly. What's happening? Touch is taking place. It's so important for babies to have touch. They gain 40% better in their weight and then their development whenever they are touched and cuddled as opposed to babies in orphanages where very little touch is given. It's so important for babies and for toddlers and for children and for adolescents and it's even important for adults to know that they are accepted. Please note this fact. If you and I, by the way we interact with our children, have not convinced them that they are accepted for who they are, that they are not loved and cherished, they are looking for it. And they will look for it until they find someone that will touch them. And oftentimes, it's not healthy what they reach out for. Let it be that our children never look for acceptance because they long for someone to touch them. From the beginning of the Bible, we see families touching. Notice the second thing, and that is the spoken message. When he said, and he blessed them and said... Silence is devastating in families. Sometimes families brag about the fact, we don't fight that much. I've not said anything negative. Well, that's good if we don't fight that much, and it's good if we don't say anything negative, but that's not enough. In relationships, we have to provide the nourishment for the relationship. There has to be that that is spoken, that which builds up. There has to be a message that paints the picture of of what we believe the family ought to be. There has to be a message that paints the picture of what we believe that the child can become and what they can accomplish. There has to be that spoken message. When we think of James the third chapter, I want to mention to you just by memory, for time's sake we don't have time, but do you remember in James the third chapter, there's several word pictures. Do you remember one time he likens the tongue and he says it's like a bit in a horse's mouth. It can turn the whole body. And do you remember another time whenever he said it's, it's like a spark, it's like a flame, and it can burn down an entire forest fire. Now right between those two he also said it's like a small rudder. It can turn an entire ship. What James is teaching us is the power of words. What if someone came to us today and said as a parent, I can tell you something that will have a powerful impact on the development of your child. How many of us would say, I don't care. Most of us say, well, tell me, what is it? Those scriptures are teaching us, it's the power of words. Words that bless lives. We have an opportunity every day to use words that are a blessing in the life of our children. Words that can move an entire life. Words that it can, 
if misused, burn things up, if used in the right way, can produce powerful, positive energy. We make the choice. Notice the third thing about the blessing here in this text, and that is that there's a high value attached to these words. It's not just our words, but the high value has to come from a combination of words and actions. You see, here's an older son, probably 40 years old, looking back to a father that's aging and dying. He's longing to hear those words that value him as a son. When Esau doesn't re, re, uh, receive those words, we have the text read for us how it's bitter to him. It's hard to him. Why? We need to be valued. Our children will have different strengths than we have. That means the things that we may treasure in life may not be their strength. Are we going to undermine them and cut them down all the time? Or are we going to value the strengths God has given them? Our children may not have the same opportunities we had in various things. Are we going to praise the opportunities they do have? And are we going to promote them in the areas that lift them up with who they are and where they are today? Or are we always going to see the negative? Friends, we have to value them. Our words and our action. We oftentimes would think about the respect and the honor that children owe to parents. But we as parents need to stop and ask ourselves, the words and the actions lately, have they said to our children that we love and respect and honor them also? I'm not talking about reversing roles. But nevertheless, we owe our children respect. They are of great worth. They have honor in the sight of God. And something's wrong with us as parents if they don't have honor in our eyes also. I want to share with you one. that I hesitate to share this because I don't know if it makes sense to you. I don't know why it stands out as such a memory in my mind. But as I mentioned, I grew up working with my dad on the farm often. And and, um, every Saturday morning, we got up early, worked all day. In the evenings after school and after work, we worked almost every evening. And so we're, we're, out on, we're out on the farm one day, and I was already 13, 14, 15 years old when this happened. And, and uh, Dad was always a pretty good organizing. We usually left with everything we needed, and usually, hey, this is what you're going to do, this is what I'll do, and we both stay busy. And this particular occasion, the tool we needed was back in the garage. Pretty good walk. And... He says, hey, you walk back and get that. And I turned back and started a few steps. And he said, wait a minute. He said, there's nothing that I can do while you're gone. He says, you sit down and rest and I'll go get it. I watched my father walk off. That's all that was said about that. I don't know why it stood out in my memory. But I noticed from that day forward, my dad never viewed me as his slave, as his errand boy. He always viewed me with value. We worked together. I didn't work for him. We've gone through life that way. And I hope that I could do that for my children to help them realize we're in this together. I don't have a greater value that you have We can serve each other. What are our words saying? What are our actions saying? But then finally, think about active commitment. 
not just out of this text, but think about the patriarchs. God continually was involved in the life of the patriarchs, making sure that this blessing took place. All the patriarchs were active in preparing the next generation to make sure that things were in line so that this blessing could continue. And so we think about us as parents as we close this lesson. We have hopefully a Christian home. And in this Christian home, our greatest responsibility is to pass on that Christian heritage and those Christian virtues and those blessings and promises that that are a part of the Christian life to the next generation so they can instill it to the next generation. And so the question is, how active are we in that? We can't live like a heathen, talk like a Christian, and expect our children to have the blessing that they need in life. They need active commitment from the parents where they have seen day in and day out in all kinds of situations when things were great and when things were tough, they need to see parents that are committed to the blessing that they speak about. With that in mind, we extend an invitation. There's no greater thing that we can do for our children than to live a Christian life. Nothing greater. I wish I could provide this for them. I wish I could send them here. I wish we could do this together. Doesn't matter what it is. There's nothing greater we can do for them than to be a Christian parent. Here's the good news. You say, I've missed out on the kind of parents we've talked about this morning. A lot have. A lot have. And that's what's wonderful about being adopted into God's family. We have a Father that fulfills every one of those for us. This morning, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, be adopted into the family of God. Won't you do that this morning? Or if you have become a Christian and you've fallen away from what God would want you to be in, and you want to come home. There's a father that wants to run and hug you and kiss you and bless you and welcome you home. There's no blessing like being a child of God. If we can help you in any way, it comes with